we're going to talk about sent uh, and the idea that each of us is being sent this morning. And I want to tell you a story to start our time together. Um, you know, we love stories at Parker Ford Church where people are kind of interrupted. Their lives are grabbed by God and they're sent and done, you know, something happens with them. And anything that takes away from the normal mundane lives and God reaching in just says, like, I want to move you and do something interesting with you, we like to hear. And periodically we actually have services set apart so that we can share with you stories that we're becoming aware of where God is moving in just that sort of way, right? And you've heard some of those stories. I read one a few months ago that I want to share with you this morning. It's about a guy and he was, he grew up in southern Iraq. Southern Iraq. And he was a part of a, a really aristocratic sect of people. He was part of a group of people who were very learned, very, very cultured. And he was a part of this group living in a really well-established city in southern Iraq. And God started to talk with him. Now, there, there are stories like this all across our world right now. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you can read these stories where God reaches into people's lives. And sometimes they live in a, in a community where Christianity is not at all normal where there's not a church on every block like there is in Pottstown, you know, where we don't see the faith of, of Christ all around us. And yet God reaches in and he starts to communicate with these people. And he does it through very interesting means. When I was a kid, I heard that God only communicates through the Bible. And, you know, God does communicate through the scriptures, primarily through the scriptures. But every now and then he jumps off the page and does something that we just can't explain away, Right? And so God starts to communicate to this guy in southern Iraq. And, and he says to this guy, I want you to be one of the people I send. I want to send you someplace and do something strange. And he gives him a mission. And the mission is he's supposed to go to Israel, sell his house, and he's supposed to go to Israel, and he's supposed to live in a tent. And he's supposed to do nothing but pray. And he's supposed to travel across the different places in what we know today as the Holy Land. And he's supposed to pray, rededicating the land that is God's back to God. And interestingly, he was never supposed to evangelize. He was, in, he was never supposed to communicate to any of the people around him. He was never supposed to start up a mission where he could, you know, deal with some of the justice issues in Israel today. He was supposed to do none of that. All he was supposed to do was pray. And along the way, what's fascinating is this man, he tells the story and we hear this transformation going on in his soul. He's actually, if I were sent as a missionary to some foreign country and told, you're probably never going to have a convert and you're never going to start a church and you're never going to start a school or a clinic or all of the different things that we see on the mission field. We're never going to fly a plane like Paul College. All you're supposed to do is pray. I would feel like my life maybe was met with this end that I, I wasn't really happy about. You know, I would want a goal larger than that. And yet this guy was told, don't expect anything other than to know God and to relate to him. And what's amazing in the story is it really happens. In this prayer conversation that ensues because the man actually listens to God and moves from southern Iraq all the way across uh, the, the, the few countries that are in between and he travels to Israel and he starts living in a tent. And, you know, I know the Bible tells us that Israel is a land flowing with milk and honey. But, you know, when it's July and it's about 130 degrees in southern Israel, it may flow with milk and honey, but it's hot, right? And a tent doesn't have air conditioning. And he actually lived this way throughout the years, actually dedicating the land back to God and praying these prayers. And his soul was transformed in the process. Let me show you where I read this passage of Scripture. It's not just something I read in a book. 
Look at this. Genesis 12. The Lord God had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, when I told that story about an Iraqi, you didn't know I was talking about Abraham, did you? But Abraham grew up in Ur of the Chaldees, which was the technological center of the universe in his growing up years. There's a ziggurat in Ur today that you can go to. It's the most ancient in the world, and it is so large that it actually has lived for 4,000 years. It's made it through all of those sandstorms, all of the different climate changes, 4,000 years, and it's still there. The people that were Abraham's contemporaries built that ziggurat. It's a big tower, if you will. Abraham was a part of this technological society, and God picked him up and said, I want to move you. Now, the interesting thing is, this is the start of something. You know, the Bible begins with these two people created and they're perfect and we know that story and then they eat of that terrible fruit and something goes bad. And the rest of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, this is Genesis 12, but the first 11 chapters read like one of those stories that's just going south all the time, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. You don't get too far before the first murder in chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. You get a little further and everybody's killing everybody to the point where God says, I'm just going to end it. And in Genesis chapter 6, we have a huge, gigantic flood. They get off of the ark. Noah and his three sons and their wives, they get off of the ark and they start a new world. And no sooner do they do that, but they sin and they build one of those ziggurats that Abraham's contemporaries have built. They built the first one of those and God smashed their civilization with a very different sort of smashing. And it was a cultural change. He actually taught gave them this power of communicating in different languages through his power. It's something we all love today, but actually in that day it separated them, right? That's the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 9. And we could go on and on, but it reads like just a a bad set of stories. And God decides at this moment he's going to do something different. And he begins the process of redemption in Genesis chapter 12, and he begins it by sending one man. Now, that's not the end of the story. The Bible continues all the way across the pages to send people. God is sending people where they're called to go. And it's a different place. It's a different station. It's a different category. Wherever we're going to go in the scriptures, we can see a story of someone who is born here being sent there. Sometimes that's geographical, right? Sometimes they actually change geography. That's what happened in this Iraqi situation. You don't like it when I call Abraham an Iraqi, do you? This is kind of surprising language. That's what he was. Isn't that interesting? That's what he was. He came from southern Iraq. Uh, You know, when, when, when God wanted to change the nation of Israel, he sent a prophet. And the prophet was nobody who thought he was a prophet. He was just a little boy. And God started to speak to him in the temple at night. And that man, Samuel, changed the world with his words. When God wanted to restore the civic leadership of Israel, he sent a shepherd boy. Somebody who was from down here moved into the royal aristocracy of Israel and he sent him to do this job that was far beyond his pay grade and he became Israel's greatest king. You know, we were traveling, Dave Willauer and I, in Israel this year and we were along the Sea of Galilee and it was just amazing to think about these guys who were fishermen. Fishermen smell bad. I don't know if you've ever been around fishermen, but I grew up on a lake 
And they were professional fishermen. And they have a, where we grew up, there was, a, there was a place where all of the fishermen congregated to clean their fish after the day's catch. And I love to go there and watch and see what was being caught. And there's all of these different stations. And these guys are chopping up fish and, you know, flaying about. And the whole place, if you got downwind of it, though, oh, my goodness, you know? Not, not, a, great place to, not a great place to take a date. It, it was smelly. It was nasty. And yet... God sent these fishermen and they died like places like Patmos, an island in the middle of the Mediterranean that didn't speak the Jewish language. Peter died on a cross probably outside of Rome, a victim of a madman emperor named Nero. And all he thought he was going to do is spend the rest of his life fishing and he got sent. Come follow me, I will make you fishers of men, Jesus said. And they go out there and they become these fishers of men. That for sure happens. But they change the world in the process. And the men they're fishing for actually take them across different continents. We could talk about Paul. Thirteen letters Paul writes. And he travels across what is probably three continents in his lifetime. All beginning with this Damascus Road experience where God says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Interesting story, isn't it? Interesting story. The Bible from start to finish is about people being sent. You know, at Parker Ford Church, we talk about up, and we talk about in, and we talk about out, right? And, you know, some parts of us, we we tend to think that we connect with God, and then we start to be transformed educationally. We get academically shifting in our mind. We learn the scriptures. We learn about discipleship and that sort of thing so that someday we can possibly go out. But the Bible reads a little differently. It's actually... The mission of God to reach and connect with us and communicate with us, and he communicates through the up for sure, and he communicates through the in, but when we go out, that's actually still part of the process of him working in our lives and communicating. And not just for those people out there. Sometimes it's us that's changed in the process. You know, this morning we're going to talk about this whole idea of being sent, and I want to read one more passage of Scripture, and, and it's going to talk about what Jesus said to his disciples This is just after the resurrection. Jesus met with his disciples and it starts with the words, uh, peace be with you when he starts talking. And the reason why is because if you saw somebody who died and rose again and actually he stood up in front of you, you'd need some peace too, right? This is actually a moment when the disciples are tremendously afraid. So you need to read it in that context. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Language that lives all throughout the history of the Bible. It didn't start here. God sent Abram, and that's how he started the process of redemption. He sent John, and that's how we got the the last book of the Bible, the Revelation. And in between, we have records of people after people who were sent. You know, Ed Stetzer is a missional theologian and pastor, and I was reading this past week, and he said something interesting. He said, you know, the Bible reads like God has a mission. And we tend to think the church has a mission. But in fact, if God has a mission and, and the church is joining God, then maybe it's not the church has a mission. It's maybe that the mission has a church. God's been about fixing this world and bringing it back together. And maybe his idea for how to do that is just plain the church. 
Maybe the idea of out is linked to our very being, and so he wants to send us. And there's not anybody on the list of people who are Christians who is not automatically sent. The minute you become a Christian, the minute you become a follower of Jesus, you are connected vertically in this up relationship. You're connected to brothers and sisters in, and we have this inside of us that's transformed, but then we go out. And it's in the process of going out that we are altered and transformed and changed. You know, I would love to talk about where to go this morning. I, I, I even amassed a list as I was getting ready, and I thought, maybe people at Parker Ford Church need to know where they can go to volunteer. Maybe they need to know what's available to them. And I made this list up. And if you want a copy of it, I can give it to you later. But I decided, you know, that's not the important thing God has for us this morning. The important thing is why to go. And I want to talk to you this morning about why. We could talk about all the ministries. You know, our church is involved in the Spring City Food Pantry, the Salvation Army. We cook lunch once a week for a bunch of homeless people. We volunteered at the Chosen 300 Ministries on Hanover Street. There's a ministry that I just caught on to that's really cool called In Ian's Boots that's nationally recognized, and it, it, it's right on the edge of Pottstown in Norco. You can volunteer through them and provide families that are in need with shoes. Our church is partnered with Operation Backpack, True to Life Ministries. They have a new station on King Street in Pottstown. And there's this amazing ministry that they're a part of, training up people professionally so that they can get jobs and and providing children with food over the weekends when they don't have food anymore because the school stops providing it. And they have this other ministry that they run summer camps in the summer called Summer Style. I could talk about all those different things, and there are plenty of places to volunteer. Two weeks ago, we actually talked about the nursery, right? You know, sometimes I think God, we think God wants to send us, and we're, maybe we should go to China. And maybe he wants to send us across the street. Maybe he even wants to send us to the, mission, to, the, to the nursery. For some of us, it's a little harder to work in the nursery than it is to go to a foreign country. That, that can actually be true. But God wants to send you. Wherever he wants to send you, I'm not sure this morning. In fact, you might need to meet with our elders. You might need to meet with pastors to go, where is God wanting to work in my life? Because each one of us has fabulous different giftings. You are unique and different than every other person in this church. You were called by God to something that I'm not called to, I guarantee it. Not everybody's called to preach. Not everybody's called to teach. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. But everyone is called and everyone is sent. So why is it that God sends people? What is it about God that wants to send people? You know, I I came up with a few different reasons reading the scriptures, and this morning I want to talk to you about why. The first of those reasons is this. For the good of our own souls. You know, God actually is a God who's more interested in who you are than what you do. Have you ever thought about this? Let me say it again. God is more interested in who you are than what you do. And then you say, well, why do I have to obey and be a part of all these things that seem so difficult in the scriptures? And the answer is because it's in doing them that we are transformed into who we are supposed to be. Let me try to explain what I mean. I was reading John Eldridge a few months ago. He's a thinker from Colorado, and he came across with these two truths. And I I see them all across the pages of scripture, and they're paradoxical. Do you know what that means? Instead of complementing each other, they actually seem to be in conflict. The first of these is God's favorite way to work is using people like you and like me. God uses human beings. Does he have to? You ever stop to think about this? All of the power of the universe, why did he stop and try to use a guy named Abraham? In fact, his name was Abram when God started to use him, right? Why did God use Abram? 
You know, was Abram so perfect? No, I got to tell you, he wasn't. He actually, this Iraqi missionary to the Holy Land who's actually dedicating places to God through building altars and praying all these prayers, you know, he's actually, he makes this huge mistake. He comes to the promised land and he finally decides to follow God's plan. It takes some years to get there, by the way, not just because of travel. He actually stops along the way. But as he travels through Israel, there's a famine in the land. And you know what he does? He says, well, I can't stay here. I can't feed my, my wife. I can't feed our, our whole business, all of the people that are traveling with us. We can't take care of them. So he skids right past where God tells him to go, and he ends up in Egypt, another technologically advanced society. You know, Abram didn't want to live in the promised land. I don't know if you know that, but he wanted to get away from it all, and he wanted to get to the place where he could have that sort of life he'd always lived. Egypt was very much like Ur. We have two cultural centers, and in the middle we have all of this no-man's land, and Abram is called to the no-man's land, and God says you're supposed to be there, but he skids past it and ends up in another city. He doesn't want to live in a tent, and who can blame him, right? But God actually supernaturally picks him up and powerfully moves him back into the place God called him to be. God chose to use this man. You know what's interesting is Abram, at the culminative moment in his life, God says, listen, I'm going to test you. I want you to sacrifice your son. And he travels to this mountain out in the middle of the wilderness. And he, he, he goes to this mountain and he takes his son. And you know the story in Genesis chapter 22. He picks up a knife. And he's about to kill his son when God says, you don't, you don't need to do that. I'm actually a God who doesn't require human sacrifice, unlike all the other gods in the Middle East that did. I'm different. And he, and he sets himself apart. Now, we, we all know that story, but what we don't maybe know is the rest of the story. You know, that is the most fought-over piece of real estate in the history of the world ever since Abraham did that. I, I was there this past year, and you can't get to it most days. You can't actually get there. And Israelis won't go up. That's where the temple is built. The temple was on the very place where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. And the prayer that God and Abraham communicated through in that moment changed the history of the world to the point where it became the most conflicted piece of geography for the last 4,000 years that has ever been. This morning as we're, as we're sitting here, there are all sorts of secret agents and military stationed around it. And up on top of it are the Palestinians who actually own the Temple Mount. Israelis won't go up there. And most days, Christians can't get up there either. And on the edge of it is the Western Wall. And the Western Wall is is Israel's most holy site. And the reason why is is it's as close as they can get to that ancient temple. The Western Wall is those, those, those stones that Herod the Great put in place in the first century in Jesus' time. I traveled with Dave, we traveled down this tunnel where you can get actually underneath the Temple Mount, but you can't go up on it. Whatever Abram was doing in the way of prayer changed the world. It was, this is the most conflicting place because it's the place where heaven meets earth and where all of the enemies of God congregate and there's this constant back and forth battle and God chooses to use human beings and what God did with Abram actually had effect. This is one of the most spiritually in charged places in the, in the history of the world. And so when God chose to use this Iraqi missionary to pray this one prayer, and it seems like an absolutely amazing moment in Genesis 22 where a kid almost dies and actually God saves his life after he seems like the God who's trying to end it. In the middle of all that, something changed. And this became one of those places. If you were looking across Genesis 12 through 26, wherever Abram prayed, you will know that this is a place that God used all throughout history. He transforms the world through Abram's prayer. 
It's an amazing story. We don't have time to tell the whole thing. God's favorite way to work is using people. However, the people God uses are never finished products. Abram skids past the promised land and actually ends up in Egypt, very interestingly missing God's plan for his life. Did God throw him away? No, he dusted him back off, supernaturally empowered him to come back to Israel and do what he was called to do from the very beginning. Why is God so interested in using people? It's because we're transformed in the process. He's more interested in who you are than what you do. And he will do things with what you do that I don't know where they'll even end up. You don't know where the mission that you're called to will end up. God will take it there. It's his power. It's his strength. But in the process, what he wants to do is change us. You know, our church is sent. We don't don't just believe people are sent, but we believe Parker Ford Church is actually a sent church. In fact, we believe any church that's following the Holy Spirit is actually a sent church because God calls people to be removed from where they've come from and they're called to a mission where they may not be comfortable. A few years ago, I read this terrible statistic. It said this, that the people you will hang out with in your life will be people who either make $10,000 more than you or 10000 less dollars than you per year. But you won't hang out with anybody. You won't connect with people. You won't have a friend base. Well, people who make much more money than that are much, more, much less money than that. In other words, our economic means define who, are we, who we are going to be in relationship with. You know, at the time I was in seminary and I wasn't making a whole lot of money, I promise you that. And I remember thinking, you know, my friends, they're probably not going to be my friends for long. But this is a sad thought. If we're sent people, economics should not define who we communicate with, who we connect with, right? If we're sent people, the people that we should be sent to are people God called us to, not just people who are culturally people we fit with. We're actually sent to places where we feel less comfortable. The Bible is filled with stories. Do you think that when Peter walked through Rome's gates for the very first time, he felt very comfortable? as one of those backwoods Jewish fishermen who never knew that he was going to be in the world's most advanced culture? And did he know that he was going to stand up to the emperor Nero? Did he know that he was going to stand up and do this tremendous act of of kind of standing up to the Roman Empire? Paul and Peter are tremendously hostile citizens for Rome, and they end up being killed because of it. You know, where God sends us is not our business. To To go where we're sent is. And the process of being sent is the thing that actually transforms us. We're called to up, and then we're called to in, and we're called to out, right? And in the out, we are transformed, and it's our souls that's transformed. So the first reason that God calls us to be sent is actually because we're called to be changed. The second reason is for the good of the others around us. I want to read for you from Acts chapter 16. This is the record of one of the earlier churches. It's in north of Israel. And Paul and his companions traveled through... I'm sorry, this is Acts 16. That's another passage. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. There's going to be a test after this sermon, and you're going to need to know all those words, okay? So make sure... I I see some of you have pens. You're going to want to write them down. Uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Why didn't Paul want to go to Macedonia? You know, if you had a dream of somebody beckoning you from a part of the world that that you didn't feel comfortable about, and they said, please come 
be a missionary there, here, where I'm at? How would you feel? You know, the, the Jewish people were conquered over and over again, first by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians, then by the Medo-Persians. And then there's this guy who's pretty insignificant. You've never heard of his name before. His name is Alexander the Great. Anybody ever hear of him? Conquers the known world and dies in his mid-30s. He does all this before he gets to be my age. Okay, He's one of the, maybe the world's greatest general. And he leads the Greek armies all across North, or southern Europe and all across the Middle East and into Africa. Along the way, he's not a narcissist at all. He names all of these cities that he conquers Alexandria uh, after Alexander. And he actually names one after his horse and after his dog as well. He was tremendously focused on himself. That's Alexander the Great. But do you know he wasn't Greek? He wasn't actually from Greece at all. You know where he was from? He was from Macedonia. And why didn't Paul want to go to Macedonia? Because everybody in the Jewish religion knew that they had had a tremendous enemy in Alexander the Great and the generals who followed him. In fact, one of his generals, a hundred years after Alexander the Great would, would lead his armies across the Holy Land, one of his generals actually sacrificed a pig in the, on the altar in Jerusalem, forever demonizing himself in the minds of the Jewish people. These Greeks were not people that the Jews liked, and to be from Macedonia was something that was not easy to get past. It was, a, it was an ethnic issue, and Paul didn't necessarily want to go there, and he has a dream at night, and here's a guy beckoning him from Macedonia, and Macedonian clothes, right? You know how people look when they're from a different country. You can go, I can pick out those people. I was in Philadelphia yesterday, and I was watching people, and you could see, and I, I picked out a couple, and I said, they're not from here, and I went over a little closer, and they were speaking German. They were German tourists from across the sea, you know, and you can just pick them out by their clothes. Paul could do that with the Macedonian. He says, I know who that guy is. He's from Macedonia. Look at his clothes. And he, he says, come be a missionary to us. And Paul says, I got to get over myself. I'm going to go do it. And Paul believed he was sent. And this missionary call came from what is really an unexpected source, a guy in a dream from Macedonia calling him across an ethnic line that really would have made Paul feel very uncomfortable. You know, I don't know what makes you feel uncomfortable. There are people in this world who probably do, right? They may be urban. They may be rural. I was talking with my neighbor the other day, and uh, her daughter got a job in Gilbertsville, Pennsylvania. You ever been to Gilbertsville? There's a place called Zerns up there I think uh, you might know about. And, and she, her daughter moved from uh, the ice cream shop in Pottstown to the ice cream shop in Gilbertsville. And they were talking, and they said, you know, those people are weird up in Gilbertsville. And I'm thinking... Somebody from Pottstown is calling somebody from Gilbertsville weird. You know, some people in North Coventry think people in Pottstown are weird, I think. And some people in Bechtelsville think that people in Gilbertsville are weird. We could go on and on and on with this list, right? I don't know who makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, when I was in college, I, I grew up in a town that is a little smaller than Gilbertsville, Pennsylvania. This is near and dear story to my heart. I grew up in a town that was, that was a, a really different sort of community than what we live in today. A 1,300 people had a 25 to 1 cow to person ratio. I actually figured it out once. That's true. The farm I worked for alone had 2,000 cattle, and our whole community only had 1,300 people. None of them were African American. None of them. And I went off to college, and I decided to go to a college in the middle of, New, of, of Chicago. Four million people. And it's a surprise to you, but not all of them were white. And I sat at my lunch table one day, and this girl da sat down next to me, and she was African-American. And I realized this was the first African-American person 
I'm 19 years of age when this happens, I'd ever met in my life. First formal conversation I've ever actually had with somebody who is not Caucasian. Really interesting, isn't it? And we talked for a little bit, and she was a much more mature person at that point in her life than I was. And she said, you, 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 she could just kind of read me, and she said, you're, you're, kind of a, you're, you're having trouble with this thing. You're, you're not sure how to talk to me. And I mean, this is tremendously embarrassing to admit in retrospect. But she said, you don't know me, uh, and, and we need to get to know each other. And I said, okay. And we talked a little bit, and she said, okay, let's just break the ice. And I said, all right, how are we going to do that? And she said, you know you want to. I said, you know, you know I want to what? She said, just touch my hair. <laughs> this is true. She actually said this. And I w- wanted to just shrink inside my seat. I was so like, you know, because when you don't know what you're doing in the middle of an ethnically different situation, when you're in the middle of a culture where you don't really make sense and you don't know how the other person's going to feel about what you say, you're, you're at a very strong dif- disadvantage. And I was sitting there just feeling bad about myself and realizing how absolutely uh, uncultured I was. And this woman was from Austin, Texas, of all places. And she, she said this. She said, go ahead, just touch my hair. You just need to get over yourself. And she finally grabbed my hand and put it up on the side of her head like this. And I, I mean, it was a moment, you know? It was a moment. You know, I look back and I think, I wish everybody could meet someone different from them the way I met this woman. Her name was Mistel Malone. We went on to be great friends, really, really close friends. She's a wonderful person, graduated from Moody, went into ministry. She's, she went on to be a cultural anthropologist. And she was somebody who understood in her maturity what I didn't. And that's that we have to cross these lines, not just because somebody on television tells us that race doesn't matter. It shouldn't but because God is on the other side of that line already. And when she looked at me, she said, you know, the only way to do this is to be humble and to admit that we actually need to cross these lines for the good of Jesus Christ. And she was more humble than I, and she was willing to to put her money where her mouth is, in one sense, and to say, you know what? I'm going to love this guy, even though he's an idiot from the country. You know, those people in Gilbertsville, they're not so weird, right? Those people in Pottstown, they're not so weird. They're just people. And what they're all about is the fact that God loves people. And we might not know that until we cross the line. Paul had an issue like that, and it was with the Macedonians. And you're reading his story. Let me read it as Teresa of Avila said it. This is what she wrote in her poem. Teresa is a 16th century Catholic saint. We don't believe in saints. We believe we're all saints. But this woman had a remarkable relationship with God, and she wrote it this way. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes, yours are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. You know, some of the things that stop us from being the body of Christ as it would relate to people who are different than us and reaching out as people who are sent by God, some of those things are really small, right? They really are very small. We're accustomed to a certain way of life. Maybe it's the suburbs. Maybe it's the country. Maybe it's an urban center, whatever it might be. But God wants to call us beyond those things that hold us back. It's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. It's about the sending of God. And I don't know where he would send you. But I guarantee it's not going to be easy and comfortable. 
Because it's never easy and comfortable when we're being transformed. God alters our soul and says, you know, we need to be sent to people who maybe look a lot different than ourselves. Or maybe they look like people that we've been with all our lives, but we find uncomfortable and we don't like because we have been there all of our lives. Some of the most difficult things for people in our era is sometimes they're called home. Let me read for you another passage about sending, and this one might surprise you. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children wouldn't, would be clean or unclean, but as it is, they're holy. What is this about, and what does it have to do with sending, right? You know, I don't know how many times in ministry somebody's come to me and said, you know, what I really wish is that I had a spouse who is really more of a partner in ministry because I want to go after God, and I want to go be a part of what this church is all about, but actually I can't because I'm tied down to the spouse who doesn't have the heart of Christ inside them. And they miss the point of being sent altogether. Because what this verse tells us and other verses like it, there's another one in First Peter 3 that's even a little more startling than this one. What this verse tells us is that maybe you're sent to your spouse. Maybe you're spent... You're sent to the people who are already surround you and you find them uncomfortable and you wish you could go do great things for God, but he's called you to the work of the people who are around you right now. I don't know where you're at in your marriage, but maybe there are people here who have a difficulty with an unbelieving spouse or maybe it's your employer and you realize that you could do more for God if your employer was kingdom-minded, but they don't know Jesus. And yet what this passage paradigmatically tells us is that God is sending us to where we are First, it's not necessarily moving from Iraq to Israel. It's not going from northern Israel to, to Rome. It might be going to the people who are around you and deciding that living sent lives is all, all about the quality of how we live. Recognizing that Jesus' work wants to be alive and well in us where we're at today. So the second reason why we're sent is for the good of others. But the third reason is maybe the most profound of all. And it's just this, because Jesus himself was sent. This is from John 1.14. It says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, if you've never read John, you almost have to stop reading chapters and stop reading paragraphs and just read sentences. Because the sentences, especially in John 1, they're so profound. Every line is profound. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus. Jesus as God decided to listen to the Father and come and tabernacle, that's the literal Greek, tabernacle among us, like the ancient tabernacle who lived in the middle of Israel and where people could come and worship. This Jesus came and lived among us, and he lived sent. You know, the the chasm between us and wherever we're sent, the, the divide, the bridge that we need to get across, might seem pretty big to us. But there's no larger difference than heaven and earth, right? There's no greater difference culturally than what God experienced when he sent his son here to live as a human being, subject to smallpox and leprosy, colds and flus, cancer and heart disease, living as a human being and watching human beings giving up on each other over and over again, even though he had called them to be a part of his repair plan. We as the people of God have chosen over and over again not to live sent lives. And maybe the center point of all of this sentness, all of this being sent, finds its home in the incarnation. That's the theological word for the Son of God becoming a man. The Bible tells us that Jesus became flesh and he lived among, and he lived among us. 
Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says it this way, who being in the very nature God, and the who is Jesus, Jesus being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, it's, this is the ultimate rags to riches story. We've read stories about little babies born into abject poverty who turned out to be these great robber barons or great philanthropic people, whoever they might be. But the story of Jesus is actually the the first story of someone who chose to be born into abject poverty, who was not poor. Jesus chose for himself the family that he was born into. And when he chose to come to earth, it's the ultimate story of someone who decided to give up everything and to be sent to us. Where would we be if God didn't send himself? Where would we be? And the Bible tells us that as the Father sent the Son, so we are sent, each one of us. There's no actual argument about it. There's no conversation. In the words of Ed Stetzer, and I want to put it on the screen for you, this is the quote I read earlier, the church does not have a mission, but the mission of our world has a church. Each one of us is part of the sending agency of God to fix what has gone wrong with our world. That is how he put us on this planet. A few years ago, I was mentored by a guy, and uh, he, you know, this guy had the ability to say things that would offend people more than any person I've ever been around. And he was a pastor, and he was a really good one. He's a really good preacher, knew how to really share the word. And he could, he could take a passage of scripture, and he could make people just fall in love with it, with his words. He had a, he had a real gift. He was 65 years old, a great friend to me. And one day he called me, and he said, I want you to just talk with me a little bit. We want, I want to talk about some things. He said, I'm about to preach a sermon where I hope about 35% of our church quits after I preach it. Well, it got my attention, right? 35% of our church walking out, one-third, one out of every three people. He says, I just feel like we have too much dead weight at our church. I don't talk this way about you. I love you guys. I want you to know, you won't hear me behind your back saying, oh, I just can't wait till so-and-so leaves. That's not, that's not what I think about. But this guy was the sort of person, he got into the place where his church was really, had really grown and it was very successful and he was just convinced that they weren't living sent. And the whole church was not a, it was not about being sent out to do the mission of God. In fact, it had become cool, maybe the coolest church in our community to be a part of. It wasn't my church. I never attended it. And, he's, and, and people loved to attend it. And he said, I, I want to ask you guys to consider, are you here because you're sent of God or are you here for some other reason? And he entitled the sermon, I'll never forget it. He said, he entitled the sermon, Why in God's name are you here? That was the title of the sermon. And he ended it, and he had this deep, gravelly voice. He was about six foot two, and he was Dutch. And in West Michigan, that means he has kind of this presence. And he said, why in God's name are you here? And he asked that question to end the sermon. And then he said, if you're here because of the children's ministry, please leave. And if you're here because the worship team is so good, please, please exit now. And if you're here because you like my preaching a lot, please don't come back. And he just, he went on a list. Why in God's name are you here? And then he listed every bad reason in his just, in his mindset for why you should not be here. And he said, this church has gotten cool. 
There's art on the walls. It's a, it was a piano factory. Actually, Elvis Presley's piano was made in this factory that they bought, and then they turned it into a church. It was really, really neat. In the middle of that, middle of that he said, why in God's name are you here? Because if we're not about being sent to the mission of God, what's it all about anyway? You know, I, I don't want to preach that sermon to you. I, I don't. And I, you're not hearing that out of me this morning. But I will tell you that it resonated in my soul. It asked me a question. Why in God's name do I follow Christ? Is it because God helps me? Is it because God makes me feel good? Is it because I have this relationship with God that I've just always been involved in? I was born into a Christian family. I'm going to die a Christian on the way. Is it because am I a part of this church because it's just a, a comfortable place to be? Or am I looking for ways that God wants to send me out to transform my life, to alter the world around me so I can live within the footsteps of Jesus? He sends us for the good of our own souls. He sends us for the good of the brothers and sisters around us. He sends us. He sends us because he sent himself first. No one can ever think of Jesus as be- of God the Father or Jesus as being hypocritical. They bridged a vaster chasm than we've ever had to experience in our lives. Can you imagine being born in a manger after you were a part of heaven? That's the story of our God. We are called to live sent lives. As the Father sent me, now I am sending you. We are called to up, we're called to in, and we're called to out. Join me in prayer.